G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Later this year, we will all be asked to vote in a referendum for what will potentially establish a voice to the Parliament for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. We'll be talking to Christian leaders about their perspectives as we appreciate the strengths and the weaknesses of both the yes and no cases. Well, we're back today with Andrew McColl from Family Voice Australia. Andrew McColl, first of all, a special welcome back to you. Good morning, Neil. It's nice to talk to you again. <laughs> Andrew, the proponents of the yes case, they want Australians to embrace an opportunity for a better future. It seems to be both sides have a better future in mind. Well, they do, and I'm glad that they want that. And I, we, we hope, I pray and hope for better outcomes for the Aborigines in Australia. My question is, will the voice make things any better for them? And I, I have to confess I have some doubts now. I think we all hope and pray for better outcomes. Uh, for some people, where the rubber hits the road is what you will vote on that referendum form, yes or a no, and we're all sort of weighing up whether the yes or the no will be the best thing for Aboriginal people, and we might even say Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters too, because there's a large contingent of Christian brothers and sisters in Christ in the Aboriginal community. So there is something sure. there uh, that, uh, you know, whether it will be a better outcome or a worse one, this really does take our prayers and careful consideration. Well, it does. And just stepping back from a moment from the sort of confronting issues that we do know that the Aborigines are challenged by, one of the things we know that historically that governments often make the error of thinking that political solutions can solve lots of problems for people. We know that as Christians... This is rarely the case because man is firstly a spiritual person. And like all of us, we are all affected by original sin so that we come from our mother's womb. I mean, we may be, we may be innocent in so many ways, but at the end of the day, we are, we are affected by original sin. We're rebels. And so that, that first thing needs to be dealt with. And we would say as believers, well, that's, that was the purpose of Jesus coming, is that we can be transformed from that state of being rebels to obedient uh, children of God, willing to do what the Lord wants. Now, there are 36 government agencies working in Alice Springs today, but they still have dreadful social problems, which are painfully evident there. So does Alice Springs need more government intervention or less? And could it be that the problems for Aborigines, not so much through a lack of political action or representation, but are they really more spiritual and cultural and personal ones, which government agencies at all levels are actually powerless 
to assist with. It's interesting, isn't it? And just to pick up on and maybe taking you off on a tangent here, but when you say that uh, we're actually more complicated, we're more than just a mechanical model where a one-size political solution might fit all, we actually are spiritual beings as well. We live in relationships. So the thought that there might already be 36 government uh, agencies working in some place like Alice Springs uh, and not achieving the things that are necessary, that means you've got to look for different and deeper and more spiritual outcomes here. Well, this is the thing, because because governments can do certain things and they can do certain things well, other things not so well. We understand, as, and I happened to listen to Peter Credland from Sky News a couple of weeks ago after she'd visited Alice Springs. She indicated that the young Aboriginals there lack good role models. They grow up exposed to abuse and violence, and they're commonly indifferent to being educated. And like the rest of the country, is their welfare system actually a trap tying them down? And um, this is one of the things that Jeremy Samet, that's S-A-N-N-U-T, from the CIS, the Centre for Independent Studies, he, he noted this in 2016 in the paper that he wrote called Indigenous Kids Failed Again. And Jeremy Samet wrote that the real tragedy of contemporary Indigenous Australia is that more than 15,000 Indigenous children and probably many thousands more need to be removed from their families because the social problems in some Indigenous communities, especially in rural areas and the remote headlands, sorry, homelands, are so catastrophic. And he indicated that children are left in dysfunctional homes that they should be removed from. This leads to repeat reports of safety concerns and increased demand for costly statutory investigations of how those families are going. In some sense here, when you reflect on the stolen generations and all of the findings and uh, the things that were considered to be very bad, uh, taking Aboriginal children from their families, uh, you've got findings there, but when you have the circumstance today where there are children, and perhaps in their thousands, in dysfunctional homes and in danger... Uh, that no one will act because of those historic stolen generation findings. Do you think that's going to be an impediment to, to the resolution of some of the problems that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families face? Well, I think it certainly is an impediment initially. And what we have to look at is always ask the, the question, well, what is going to be in the best interests of the child? And I don't think we can justify leaving a child in a situation where it is plainly unsafe for the child, that there is abuse that has taken place and may continue to take place, where there is no real probability that that family that is there actually is showing the capacity to change and to give that child or those children a better future. And in that situation, we've got to then say, this is not working for the sake of the child or their children. It doesn't matter which group of people it is, whether it's someone in Alice Springs or someone in Brisbane or Townsville or anywhere else, and that's regardless of race. 
we have to think of what is always going to be in the best interest of the child. You know, Andrew, I don't mind asking you these sorts of questions, but what does our Christianity speak into the situation of those who are in particularly hard environments in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities? How do you reflect on these things in a biblical way? What is Christianity bringing to the table? Well, what we know... Neil is that is as I was saying in the in the intro today that that man is essentially a sinner, and we can we can ignore that we can try and paint it over and say well the child needs better education, or he needs this or he needs that, but 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 any person needs to come to terms with the fact that Jesus Christ died for them, and our our hope as Christians is that as we are reconciled to Christ through his blood, there is hope for us to be reconciled and changed and made to be new people in Christ. And one of the gospel examples of this is the case of of Zacchaeus. And we read about him in Luke chapter 19, where, where he met the Lord and he was a changed person from that experience. He actually said, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give him back four times as much. Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to save that which was lost. So we we reflect on that. We reflect on the fact that governments can do some things but many things they attempt, the outcomes are very, very ordinary. And we have to come back to the biblical definitions of people, how we're born, what, what, why Jesus died, and what would be the outcome of his, of his death for us as Christians. And that's regardless of whether we're Aboriginal or some other race. The fact is the gospel applies to all people, men and women, at all times. And we have to, as believers, always put that first. Certainly there needs to be, doesn't there, some level of partnership with government agencies, uh, political will, and the things that the church brings to the table, the sorts of things that you're describing there, because these are things you can't deliver through a government agency. There has to be some level of partnership there, even mission endeavour to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but not even white mission endeavour to those peoples, but Aboriginal mission endeavour to those peoples. There's something there, isn't there, that, uh, that perhaps needs to be considered government activity that encourages mission to the Aboriginal people. Well, that's right. And we also need to think about Christians in in Australia taking the initiative and saying, hey, we've got some opportunities here, whether we're in Queensland or, or the Northern Territory or wherever, to actually start again the mission work with Aborigines. I'm not saying we go back to the model of the 1950s or the 1900s or wherever it might be, but we need to confront people wherever they are, or whatever race they are, with the knowledge of the gospel. And we would all like to see the Aboriginal people be able to do better, and there are numbers of aspects to this. But 
after 50 years of futile political attempts, we think that hope can arise. Are we really being sensible and realistic and scriptural if we think that hope for the Aborigines can arise from a political source? Everyone in Alice Springs believes or seems to believe that hoping in the voice is actually probably a vain hope. There's not much interest, as I understand it, according to Peter Credlin, in the hope out of Alice Springs. So we would say that true progress must deal with their fundamental problems, which we would acknowledge as believers, as being spiritual, cultural, relational and personal. You know, the great hope that we all have for Australia is the gospel. And I don't care what race we're talking about, just the human race. Um, and we we say, God help us and God, may we see the salvation of the Lord across all parts of Australia, whether we're talking about the Aborigines or the Irish or the Italians or wherever. And in this country, we all need the gospel. And we've all, people like yourselves and I, we were confronted by the gospel at some previous point. And we said, wow, I didn't, didn't know about that. And in my case, I was, I, I, was, I was 18 years old and I was confronted with the gospel and I needed to repent of my sin. And that was many years ago. So thank the Lord for the good news. We've got a big blockage, though, haven't we? Because as you and I are discussing that, and I know that that will strike a chord with a lot of listeners, the gospel is transformative. We have that as our own stories personally. Communities have that. Families have this gospel uh, transformation testimony. But when it comes to politics, there's no political will, is there, to admit that action's necessary, that Children need special care and attention, that people are spiritual, that we are relational beings, that there are needs that need to be met on a deeper level. Uh, that's actually unpopular for people who are in political positions. So there's a challenge there, isn't there, Andrew? Well, there is a challenge, Neil. And what we have noted over 2,000 years of church history is that Christians don't want to wait around and see that they can get ticks in the box from, from some government entity. I um, mean, there are times to, to wait. Um, and of course, when we're going overseas, we have passports to complete and various immigration forms to complete and that sort of thing. But we don't see the men and women in the Bible waiting around for some bureaucrat to give them a tick in the box to go and do what God told them to do. And Jesus told his disciples to go and preach the gospel, which is good news which leads to people being transformed as individuals, and that's flowing on to not just the individual, but then the family, then the community, then the whole nation. Jesus talked about the gospel discipling nations. That is exciting. So we would say as believers that these are what this is the very thing that every Australian needs, whether it's Aboriginals or otherwise, to hear the gospel to be face-to-face with their own personal need to repent of their sin and to see that followed up with with the modelling of the Christian life, the discipleship of individuals and families and the education of their children. And that challenge is before us to, to see what we can do to address that with the Aborigines. So I would say to, to Neil, to our listeners today, would you like a job? 
there are some jobs going. And uh, just to look on the, the upside here about what sort of transformative change comes along with this gospel message of people responding and becoming believers and having a, a, a God who is on their side. When the gospel is preached, uh, with there's a, a missional approach here into communities, what are the sorts of changes you might typically expect to see, Andrew? Well, as we you know, read from, from Luke's gospel, chapter 19, about Zacchaeus, he had a, a radical transformation take place. Firstly, he recognized that he had obligations to, the, to those people who were his neighbors. He actually owed them money, and he volunteered to go and repay that money. And so we see this complete refocus of Zacchaeus uh, in terms of, what, of those that were around him. And that's what the gospel means. It means that we begin to think about family integrity and faithfulness, working for a living, being productive individuals in our community, our children being educated and learning to save for the future. And all of these things in terms of the, the, the uh, restructuring of the family, how we deal with one another, loving one another as the gospel tells us, these are all the things that, that are, are the challenge of the gospel for the people of God. Well, who knew there would be a dimension like this for every Christian believer, for every mission organization, either within your local church or within our denominations, to think about how we take this transformational message of the gospel into more broadly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that are suffering the most. As you say, there's a big upside to what happens when people become connected with the transcendent God, the one who brings salvation, and in the wake of that salvation, the peace of God, which is just amazing. Andrew McColl, always appreciate your insights. Uh, Thanks so much for bringing a completely different and bigger dimension than any of us could have considered. Let me point listeners to familyvoice.org.au to connect with Andrew McColl. Andrew McColl is Family Voice Australia State Director for the State of Queensland, Andrew, thanks so much for your insights today on 2020. Great. It's been nice talking to you again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.